Hello, and welcome back to the Truth Seekers podcast. A truth seeker is someone who wants to know the truth. They search for what's true, and they won't rest until they find it. I am a truth seeker, and if you are too, then you've come to the right place where we will search for truth each week in the stories of the Bible. I first want to start off by saying a quick thank you to those of you who have not only left reviews for the podcast, but donated to this ministry. I've been so blessed by your generosity. I want to give a shout out to Cruz, who's seven years old and from Washington, D.C., Thank you, Cruz, for your donation to Truth Seekers. I also want to give a shout out to Silas and Aiden from Canada, who also have donated and supported to the ministry of the podcast. If you feel led and want to help support this ministry, you can become a monthly donor over at patreon.com forward slash Sherilyn R. Grant. Thank you again for all of your emails, reviews, and support. I know God is using this podcast to reach children all over the world with the message of the gospel. And for that, I am forever humble and forever grateful. If you've been following along, then you know that we've been talking about the preparations for the building of the temple where God's very own presence would dwell and live among the Israelites. Do you know how long it took in all for the temple to be built? Can you guess how many years? In total, from start to finish, it took Solomon 11 years to complete the temple. That's right, four years to gather all of the material and supplies needed for the building of the temple, and seven more years to put it all together. Solomon began to build the temple of the Lord in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah, where the Lord had appeared to his father David. King David had actually bought the land where the temple was to be built before he died. One reason why the preparations for all the materials for the temple took so long was that every stone and every piece of metal or wood was cut to size or molded to shape before it was even brought to the building site. This means there were no sounds of hammering or cutting or building while the temple was taking shape. The Bible says there was neither hammer nor axe nor any tool of iron heard in the house while it was in building. All of the work and preparation was being done in the valley away from the mountain site where the temple would be built. All of the stones and metals were cut down in the valley. When they were finished, they would then be brought to the temple site and pieced together there. When we see how God works in nature, causing the grass and the flowers and the trees to grow and bear fruit without a sound, so it was to be with his temple. Do you know that God is still working on his dwelling place today? But there is no longer a temple, you say. You are correct. There is no temple building in Jerusalem anymore. But you and I are now the temple of God because he lives inside of you and me. All of the believers of Jesus all over the world make up the temple of God. He is working on our hearts quietly today by causing us to grow the fruits of the Spirit and look more like Him. As stone was laid upon stone, each fitting perfectly in its appointed place, the building gradually took shape. I wonder if families from all over Israel came to watch as the building took shape. 
For many years, even before King David died, they had been waiting and hearing stories of the glorious temple that would be built. Now it was being built before their very eyes. They could also see that it was going to be much larger than the tabernacle. The temple was twice as large as the tabernacle Moses had built in the wilderness. Moses' tabernacle was 55 feet long. Solomon's temple was 110 feet long. Moses' tabernacle was 18 feet wide and Solomon's temple was 36 feet wide. Moses' tabernacle was 18 feet high and Solomon's temple was 36 feet high. And just as the tabernacle had been divided into two parts by a curtain, dividing the holy place from the most holy place, so the temple would be divided into the same two parts, the holy place and the most holy place. All the walls and ceiling were lined with cedar wood and the floor with planks of fir so that there was no stone seen. Then all the wood was covered with gold. Solomon covered the beams, the posts, the walls, and the doors with gold and graved cherubims on the walls. And he made the curtain of blue and purple and crimson and fine linen and placed cherubims on them too. And just as in the tabernacle, Solomon placed two large cherubim angels carved from olive wood and covered in gold inside the most holy place. Their wings touched the walls of the most holy place on either side. In the holy place he put a new golden altar of incense, new golden tables for the bread, and ten golden candlesticks, five on the right side and five on the left. Outside the temple, a great bronze altar was placed for offering the sacrifices by the priests. At the southeast corner was the molten sea made by Haram, the skilled worker, which was used as a bathing pool for the priest. It contained the gallons of water where the priest would use to clean themselves from the sacrifices they had made. Beside this, there were ten bronze basins, or wash places, for cleansing the sacrifices before they were offered. After seven years of working to put the temple together, the building was finished. The plans that God had given to David had been accomplished. Everyone had worked hard and given their best to make the temple the most glorious temple ever built. When all the work Solomon had done for the temple of the Lord was finished, he brought in the things his father David had dedicated and left for the temple before he died, silver and gold and other furnishings, and Solomon placed them in the treasuries of God's temple. When all this was complete, there was still one thing missing. One very important item. Do you know what's missing? What could be missing after all this work, after everything had been accomplished and completed, what was missing? If you said the Ark of the Covenant, then you are correct. Do you remember how King David had brought the Ark of the Covenant to Jerusalem and placed it in a tent until the temple could be built? The Ark of the Covenant was the most important piece of the temple because it represented God's presence. God's presence would dwell above the Ark of the Covenant. Just as God's presence had dwelt above the Ark of the Covenant inside the tabernacle, so God's presence would dwell above the Ark of the Covenant in the temple in the most holy place. 
Without the Ark of the Covenant, the temple was meaningless. So Solomon summoned to Jerusalem the elders of Israel, all the heads of the tribes, and the chiefs of the Israelite families to bring up the Ark of the Lord's Covenant from Zion, the city of David. And all the men of Israel came together to the king at the time of the festival. When all of the elders of Israel had arrived, the Levites took up the ark and they brought up the ark and the tent of meeting and all the sacred furnishings in it. The priests, who were the Levites, carried them up and King Solomon and the entire assembly of Israel that had gathered about him were before the ark, sacrificing so many sheep and cattle that they could not be recorded or counted. You see, the Levites were the priests among the Israelites. They were the ones God had chosen to be the keepers of the temple and offer the sacrifices. Only the Levites were allowed to be priests. They had been chosen for this special job. If you were a son born into the family of Levi, then you could become a priest. And so all of the leaders of Israel and the elders and the chiefs of the families of the tribes of Israel gathered together as the Levites carried the Ark of the Covenant to the temple of God. What a procession and assembly that must have been. What joy must have filled the hearts of the people as they saw the Ark of the Covenant being carried by the Levites to its new home in the temple. The priest then brought the Ark of the Lord's Covenant to its sacred place in the inner sanctuary, in the most holy place behind the curtain in the temple. They placed the Ark of the Covenant beneath the wings of the cherubim. The cherubim spread their wings over the place of the Ark and covered the Ark and its carrying poles. There was nothing in the Ark except the two stone tablets that Moses had placed in it at Mount Horeb, engraved with the Ten Commandments. Then, when the priest had set the Ark of the Covenant in its place and came out of the temple, all of the sudden, the Levites, who were musicians, stood on the east side of the altar, dressed in fine linen, and played their cymbals, harps, and lyres. They were accompanied by a hundred and twenty priests sounding trumpets. The trumpeters and singers joined in unison as with one voice to give praise and thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raised their voices in praise to the Lord and sang, He is good, His love endures forever. He is good, and His love endures forever. And then, the most glorious thing happened. Before their very eyes, the Israelites saw a cloud filling the temple of the Lord. What was this cloud? The priests could not perform their service. They stopped what they were doing because of the cloud. For it was the glory of God himself coming and filling the temple. Solomon stood before the people and said to them, The Lord has said that he would dwell in a cloud. I have built a magnificent temple for you, O God, a place for you to dwell forever. And while the whole assembly of Israel was standing there, King Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord and spread out his hands. He was standing on a large bronze platform in the center of the outer court of the temple. And he then knelt down before the whole assembly of Israel, spread out his hands towards heaven and prayed a prayer of dedication. Can you say dedication? 
when something is dedicated, it is offered or given over to something or someone else. Solomon was dedicating the temple to God. The temple would be God's home, his dwelling place. And Solomon said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you in heaven or on earth, you who keep your covenant of love with your servants, who continue wholeheartedly in your way. You have kept your promises to your servant David, my father. With your mouth you have promised, and with your hand you have fulfilled it today. But will God really dwell on earth with men? The heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. How much less this temple I have built! Yet give attention to your servant's prayer and his plea for mercy. O Lord my God, hear the cry and the prayer that your servant is praying in your presence. May your eyes be open toward this temple day and night, this place of which you said you would put your name here. May you hear the prayer your servant prays towards this place. Hear the supplications of your servant, of your people Israel, when they pray toward this place. Hear from heaven your dwelling place, and when you hear, forgive. Then King Solomon asked of God seven special requests in his prayer. First, he asked God to be the judge between the innocent and the guilty. Whenever two people would come before the Lord in the temple, may God judge between the one who is innocent and the one who is guilty. Second, he asked God to forgive the sins of the people if they turned their backs on God, but then came back to him in repentance, asking for forgiveness. Third, he asked God to send rain upon the land during a drought if the people had sinned, but then asked for forgiveness. Fourth, he asked God to heal the people of sickness or illness and keep them from disaster when they repented of their sins. Fifth, he asked that God would hear the prayers of foreigners, those who were not Israelites but who came to the temple to pray and know God because they had heard of how great the God of Israel is. Sixth, he asked God to go with them in battle and be with them against their enemies when they prayed to him. Seventh, Solomon asked God, that he would deliver the people from their enemies should they ever be captured by them and taken away to another land. Solomon asked God to forgive them when they repented of their sins and asked for forgiveness and allow them to return back to the land. Then as Solomon ended his prayer, he said, My God, may your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayers offered in this place. Now arise, O Lord God, and come to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. May your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation. May your saints rejoice in your goodness. Surely God heard Solomon's prayer, for as soon as he finished, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and sacrifices on the altar, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. The priests could not even enter the temple of the Lord because the glory of the Lord filled it. And when all the Israelites saw the fire coming down and the glory of the Lord above the temple, they knelt on the pavement with their faces to the ground and they worshiped God and gave thanks to the Lord saying, He is good and his love endures forever. Dear true seekers, what a day that must have been.
Can you only imagine seeing the fire of God come down from heaven and consume the animal sacrifices on the altar? And to see the cloud of God's glory filling the temple and to hear the music of worship unto the Lord? What a day of rejoicing, what a day of celebration. Not only did the people see the glory of God with their eyes, they felt God's glory in their hearts and upon them. It caused them to bow down so low their faces were touching the ground. God's glory is wonderful, too wonderful and magnificent and holy for us to behold. It causes even the proudest person to bow down in honor to God. Do you know that you can still experience the glory of God today? As we gather together in churches across the world, God's glory meets us. He loves when His children gather together for worship. Your church may meet in a building on Sunday morning, or it may meet in a home on a weeknight, or it may meet under a tree in the African desert. But when two or more believers come together to worship God, God meets them there. That is why it is so important that we don't give up going to church and meeting with other believers. God's glory and presence are made known in the gathering together of believers. Paul calls us the body of Christ. As there are many believers, we all all make up different parts of the body. Some are called to be teachers, some are called to be pastors, some are called to be evangelists. We all have different roles to play, to encourage one another in the Lord. When we gather together, we encourage one another, we strengthen one another, and we can pray for one another. In the New Testament, Paul encourages us not to give up meeting together. Just as God's glory came and filled the temple, so His glory comes and fills us as we worship Him in unity together with other believers. If you'd like to read today's story in your Bible, you can find it in 2 Chronicles chapters 4-7. through 7. Let me pray with you before we go. Dear Heavenly Father, we are overcome by your glory and wonder. Just as the Israelites fell on their knees with their faces to the ground, so we bow our hearts before you today. We honor your holy name, O God. You are worthy to be praised. We lift up our voices in praise to you. We sing songs of adoration and love to you. We give you all the praise and glory and honor. Help us to continue meeting together with other believers. And if we've been hurt by others in the church, help us to forgive but not let that stop us from gathering together. As the body of Christ, you have called us to live in unity so that we can be examples to a world that needs to see your glory in us. We love you and praise you today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining me today, and I look forward to our time together next week.